Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. And uh, we want to continue with... uh what I've been teaching on during this Advent season, what Christmas really means. And uh, we come to this place today uh, to talk about what is referred to in theological circles as the kenosis of Christ, the kenosis of Christ. And kenosis in uh, Christian theology uh, is uh, referred to as the renunciation uh, at, at least in part uh, of Christ, of his divinity, all right, his, his God-likeness. Well, I mean, I guess renunciation would be a good term, but uh, ultimately, kenosis is Christ becoming a man, God becoming a man. Mm-hmm. And I taught a few Wednesdays ago, a couple Wednesdays ago, on the Word becoming flesh, and, and in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Uh, went through all of those New Testament examples of Jesus talking about him and his father being one, the worship factor, how many times Jesus allowed people to worship him. And uh, uh, if he wasn't God, he wouldn't allow people to worship him. Uh, He talked over and over again about his oneness with the father. And where, where people tend to shy away from talking about Jesus being God is they don't want anybody to think they're oneness. Well, most people that think that way don't know what oneness believe anyway. How many of y'all know what oneness believe? Not one hand. Praise God. Now, I mean, that's fine. I'm just saying that, 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 that people will say, well, I don't want anybody to think I'm oneness. Well, how would you know? I mean, if you don't know what they believe, how would you know? Amen. I mean, now, now here's what I'm trying to say. God is one. The, from the beginning of the Old Testament, it says the Lord your God is one God. See, the problem that God had with the Old Testament gods and his people, almost every old, old, almost every per, every people group that you look at in the Old Testament, they not only they not had they not only had one God, they had a plurality of gods. And he said, I'm setting myself apart, and I'm telling you, your God is one God. Right? Your God is one God. And so God is one and eternally exists. In three persons. Not three personalities. Three persons. All right? It's one of the unfathomables of Christian theology. How is that possible? For there to be one God that exists in a tripartite personage. It's what the Bible says. You have to receive it. He does. Amen? But the thing is, is when Jesus became flesh... God became flesh. Why? The Bible says in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then the Bible says in John 1, 14, the Word became flesh. If the Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word became flesh, then God became flesh. Amen. Amen. Do you see this? And, And, you know, all believers have to understand 
Why that's so important. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, so when Jesus uh, came and became a man, the origin of that word kenosis, the origin of the word is an emptying. He emptied himself. Literally, he emptied himself out. All right? Now, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, this is important because very often, especially in this season, uh, we start reading in verse 6 to talk about uh, his kenosis, his emptying of himself out. But he says, understand, first of all, let this thinking be in you. Now, most people quote this verse as it pertains to living right, Overcoming sin, after all, let this mind be in you that was in Christ. But he's not referring to sin after this. He's referring to humility. He says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the what? The form, the word form right there, the external likeness, the nature. Being in not only the external likeness of God, but the nature of God. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. All right? Now, people think robbery. Well, what does that mean? That he did not think equality with God was something he had to hold on to to make him look good. What it means. It wasn't something to be grasped at. It wasn't something that he refused to let go of. All right? He didn't think it was robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation and took on him the form. There's that other word, form. Same word in two different verses. External likeness and likeness of nature. So the word, Jesus, that was God, resembled him outwardly and had his nature became man and resembled man outwardly and took on man's nature. If he just came and looked like a man, it wouldn't have worked. He had to take on the nature of man. That's why the Bible says he didn't take on the nature of sinners or of angels. He took on the nature of mankind. Hallelujah. All, All throughout the word, all throughout the word, we talked about it Wednesday. We see manifestations of God throughout the, the scriptures. There's times you see the Father walking on the earth, clothed in flesh, but he's not flesh. Looks like flesh, but he's not flesh. Amen. Well, well why is that? Because number one, number one, the, 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 the Bible says when the fullness of time was come, God sent his son, born of a woman, to save, to save the earth. God could not do things before the time. So my point in saying all this is when Jesus came into the earth, he didn't look like a man. He was a man. He took on the nature of man. Hallelujah. And glory to God. It says, being found in fashion as a man, notice he humbled himself and became obedient. This this is going to be an important phrase as we move on. Became obedient unto God, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him. Now, I might be getting ahead of myself a little bit, but remember what the word of God says? It says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you. 
He humbled himself and God exalted him. But he humbled himself. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ. What was it? Humble myself. Right? Jesus didn't think about what he was leaving. Humble people don't think about what they're giving up to go do what God wants them to do. Jesus, Jesus didn't think about leaving the throne and leaving, the, leaving heaven and leaving all. He didn't think about that. He said, this is the whole purpose for my existence. I come to do your will. I come to do your will. Amen. The, the Weiss Bible says, being found in outward guise as a man, he stooped very low. Having become obedient to God the Father to the extent of death, even such a death that was on the cross. The Phillips translation says, And having become man, he humbled himself by living a life of utter obedience, even to the extent of dying, and the death he died was the death of a common criminal. Hallelujah. So Christmas is about so much more than just a baby in the manger. See, obedience is humility. Where there's disobedience, there's pride. Obedience is humility. Hallelujah. This is important. That's why we've taught over the years that partial obedience is disobedience. If I'm not obedient to what God says, it's because I think, number one, I think I don't have to be And number two, I think I can do it on my own. Well, that's prideful. That's prideful. You know, there are people you know and I know, they won't ask for help. Not because they don't need it. They don't want to humble themselves. Because to ask me for help means you got to admit you don't know. Is that right? See, over the years, people have thought I'm mean because I'll say, if I'm talking to somebody and they keep saying, I know, I know, I know, okay, we're done. Now, now, now why do I say that? Bear with me. See, I, I don't want the culture in our church just to be that, yeah, yeah, you say I know the pastor and, and he'll, he'll cut you off. See, you make me sound mean. You are misrepresenting me to people. Amen. There's a reason. There's a reason. If, if, if somebody comes in and says, I've had people come in and want to talk about their marriage. And I'd say, well, you know, let's, let's go to the scripture. You know, the Bible says, love your wife like Christ loves the church. Oh, I know, and I do that. Then why are we here? Right? right? You know, the Bible says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Bless God, I submit, I know. Then why are we here? If, if you're loving and you're submitting, we wouldn't be here. And so finally somebody will go, well, yeah, I know. Okay, now, okay, then we're done. Because you know. If, if you know, why are we here? We're not here for my marriage. I got a good one. Amen. We're here for your marriage. Is that right? Think, think about whatever business you're in. Who succeeds in that business? The person that comes and says, I don't know what I'm doing. I need you to teach me. 
Who fails in that business? The person that thinks they know and they got a better idea. Now, I'm saying this for a reason. So what was the, 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 the predominant thing that we see in these verses? He was obedient and he humbled himself. Amen. Do you see that? I'm trying to get you to move all these ideas out of your mind. Right? Why was Jesus born in a manger? What does religion say? Help me out. Because they're poor, broke, poor old Joseph, poor old Mary, right? He forgot to make reservations because the Bible says he got there and he tried to get a room. That's what the verbiage insinuates. There was no room. How'd they know there was no room? They checked, right? Now, this is important because the humility was not the manger, the humility was becoming a man. At, at whose behest? The Father's. Amen. So Christmas is about why Jesus was willing to become a man. Why was he willing to do that? Look at verse 7. He made himself of no reputation and took on him the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men. We talked about that word kenosis, what it means in emptying out. One, ver one translation says, he poured himself out to build, to fill a vessel brand new. A servant in form, a man indeed, the very likeness of humanity. The, the, uh, we'll talk about this in a moment, but the, the, the Weiss translation talks about the word taking on a new form of existence, becoming a man. But notice, he poured himself out so he could fill a vessel brand new. John 1.14 says, The word entered a new mode of existence and became flesh. So in order to become a man, he had to let go of all the rights and privileges that were rightfully his. What is pride? My rights. What's rightfully mine? I deserve. This ought to be mine. Right? And Jesus never got into that mindset of, I deserve to be deity. I deserve this. If, if I let go, if I pour my, if I empty myself out of all my, my deity, if I empty that out, then I won't be nobody. He didn't do that. He humbled himself. Right. Now see, we know these things because it happened, because he came to the earth. But look at what it took. If I want to be highly exalted, I got to pour myself out. Right. Is that right? If, as long as I'm grasping for what I think causes me to be important, then I, I'm never going to get in on the plan of God. Hallelujah. Jesus didn't think it made him less God to become man. And he didn't think it made him less man to be God. He was completely human and completely divine at the same time. And he, he didn't feel if people didn't see him as God, he was somehow less. Think about that. 
What makes you, you? What you do? What you have? What people think of you? Or that you're doing what God wants you to do? It's that you're doing what God wants you to do. When nobody cares who gets the credit, everything goes to another level. If you don't care if you get the credit, everything goes to another level. Hallelujah. The best marriages I know are where where both partners are just working for the marriage. It's not that I look good. It's not that everybody thinks I'm a great husband. When you get around people that are always talking about how great their marriage is, mark it down. It's not so hot. It's not so hot. Because if you've got to tell people how good it is, it's not that good. That's why the Bible says, remember in 1 Peter 5? You say, what's this got to do with Christmas? A lot. In 1 Peter 5, he he talks about uh, the the pastors, the leaders, and he says, uh, feed the flock of God that's among you. All right? And he says, do it of a ready mind. Do it willingly, not for filthy lucre, but as an example. Example to the flock. Is an example spoken or is it an example shown? Generally, it's shown. So Jesus, by his example, by his example, he came and showed us how to be of a humble mind. Amen. He showed us how to do it. Now, he didn't just look like a man, obviously. He became a man. John 1.14, the word became flesh. And it's important to remember that this was totally voluntary on Jesus' part. Totally voluntary. Hallelujah. It says he humbled himself. Humbled means to be lowly and to be willing to stoop to any measure that's needed. Now, look at Matthew 11. Because we're talking about what Christmas really means. So, you know, very often when we talk about what Christmas really means, you know, the, the, the indication is there, well, it's not about gifts, it's not about the tree, it's not about the lights. No, well, no, it's not. You know, it's about the gift. Well, it is. But the Bible tells us it's about why he did what he did. And what it took to do what he did. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Now you've read these verses, but notice, let's start in verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? Rest. If you're laboring and you're heavy laden, I will give you rest. If there's issues you're dealing with, you come to me. And I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. In other words, you take my yoke and you start learning something about me. And then notice what he says. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And you'll find rest to your soul. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. He said, I want you to learn of me. And he said, I'm meek. Remember, humbled means to be lowly, willing to stoop to any measure that's needed. He said, I am meek. That word meek's only used here, not used anywhere else in the Bible. There is the word meek in other places in the Bible, but this one's only used of Jesus. 
And it means to be gentle, to be humble, to be gentle, to be humble. I'm gentle, I'm humble. And then he said, and lowly in heart. Some translations say lowly in spirit. As a matter of fact, that word means lowly in spirit or humble. In other words, not lifted up in himself, not lifted up in his heart. You come to me, take my yoke on you, and here's what you're going to learn. I'm meek and lowly. I'm gentle. I'm humble. Because he humbled himself. He humbled himself. So a large part of the gift was because of his humility. Hallelujah. Jesus was willing to stoop to any measure needed to complete the plan of God. Hallelujah. And and the scripture says, if you look in uh, back in Philippians chapter 2, it says he became obedient unto death. Verse 8, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Obedient means giving ear or obedient. In other words, I hear you and I obey you. All right, I hear and I obey. So he heard something he had to obey. He heard something that he had to give his ear to. In uh, Hebrews chapter 10. In uh, verse 5. <clears throat> it says, Wherefore when he, Jesus, cometh into the world, he says... Sacrifice and offering you would not, but a body you've prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices, you've had, for sin, you've had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written to me, notice, to do your will, O God. I am come to do your will. In the volume of the book, it's written to me, it's in parentheses, then said I, lo, I come to do your will. I come to do your will. One translation says, I've come to do your pleasure. Almost every other translation says, I come to do your will. I come to do your will. See, that's why the Bible says Jesus made himself of no reputation. All right? Now, you can't, you can't hide from the results. I mean, there are multitudes that the Bible says came to hear him that were all sick and he healed every one of them. Multitudes, innumerable amount. Can't count them. And, and he healed all of them, right? But what you don't see Jesus doing is talking about how get the sick here and I'll get them healed. Amen. I'm just doing the will. What if nobody knew the gifts and the talents and the abilities you have. 
Jesus made himself of no reputation. He didn't go around telling people how great he was. When people thought ill of him, he didn't get his feelings hurt. Hurt feelings is a sign of, a sign of no humility. Because when you don't care, it don't matter. But pastor, everybody gets their feelings hurt. Well, just because everybody gets their feelings hurt doesn't mean that's how we're supposed to live our life. Why are, your, why are our feelings hurt? Because they did me wrong. They did something to me. They didn't do me right. I understand that. And they should do you right. But as long as you're holding on to that, you'll miss out on the plan. You'll, you'll miss out on the plan. And that's not what Jesus did. He kept the focus on what he was supposed to do for the Father. I come to do your will. Is that right? I come to do your will. What do you want? It's so important. Because as long as I'm grasping and clutching for what I think makes me important, Right? You know, there, there are people that can't be promoted because they think the promotion makes them important. And the promotion doesn't make you important. Well, I just need, I just need a, a, a better position. Well, that, that's not going to make you better. As long as I think that's, that's, what, that's, what, that's what makes me who I am. I've watched this over the years. I've watched this over the years. People go through what they call empty nest syndrome. You know why they go through empty nest syndrome? Because their, their identity is all wrapped up in those children. My identity is not wrapped up in my children. My identity is wrapped up in Christ. I have a responsibility to those children. I love them with all my heart. Just ask them. Amen. Amen. Ask my grandchildren. Nobody makes them happier coming to their house than Paul. Nobody. Because Paul got money. And Paul's got a truckload of gifts. Right? Love those children. But my identity is not wrapped up in them. My identity is not wrapped up in Michelle's husband. I am Michelle's husband. But my identity is I'm a child of God. That's my identity. And the, the more I focus on my identity, the better husband I become. But if I think just, just showing what a good husband I am is what makes me important, number one, I'm not really that good of a husband, and number two, that's fleeting because pride is in there. And anything that pride is in, it will eventually erode. It will eventually destroy. Why? Proverbs says only through pride comes contention. Only. If, if, there's, if there's arguments and strife and stress in a marriage, it's because you got two prideful people that won't humble themselves. Amen. Let me go back here. <laughs> amen. Got an amen from the single guy, but, that, you know, I mean, <laughs> that's easy for him to amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Go oh, see, you brought your girlfriend to church. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. Your daughter's saying, don't talk to them. And so, <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> right? You, you understand what I mean? But, but what if, again, here, listen to me. What if nobody cared who got the credit for your marriage? 
Or what if you were given all the credit for your good marriage to your spouse? Right. And they were given all the credit to you. I tell people all the time, it's easy to have a good marriage when you're married to the woman I'm married to. It's easy to have a good marriage when the person you're married to won't get mad Amen. and won't get offended. That's easy. Amen. Right? But if that's what makes, if that's your identity, I know pastors that their identity is in their church. Their identity is in their church. And whether they have a big church or a large church, whether they have a, a, a what they call a relevant church or an irrelevant church, their, their, their identity is not found in who they are in Christ. It's found in whether or not they have the numbers, whether everybody thinks they're the hottest thing going. I could give a rip. When we stand before Jesus, the only thing that I'm going to give an account for is do I present you mature to Christ? Not did everybody think I was cool. I am, but not. I know because one day Yolanda told me. I came to church on my, on my motorcycle, and she said, it's so good to have a cool pastor. Yeah, there you go. Amen. Hallelujah. Me and Daryl. She's married to Mr. Cool and pastored by Junior Cool, so we're all right. Amen. You, you understand? That's, that's not the issue. That's not the issue. Jesus, am I helping you with this? Jesus did not come and find his identity as a miracle worker. Or one that turned wine into water. If that's where he got his identity, he'd have went to Herod when Herod wanted him. Herod sent for him, wanted to, wanted to see a miracle, had heard about him, and he sent for him. And they said, they said, you know, Herod wants you to come. And or, you know, Herod's gonna, gonna do this and do that. And he said, You go tell that fox, Herod. Right. Amen. You go tell that sneaky snake, Herod. I'm gonna work miracles today and tomorrow. And I'm going to be lifted up on the third day. In other words, he can come any day and see what God's doing. I'm not going to waste my time going trying to prove to him who I am. That's not why he came. Every miracle that he performed was an exhibition of the goodness of God. It did not make Jesus who he was. You, You understand? If he cared about what people thought about who he was, why would he drive them out of the temple twice? Why would he sit at a table and have sinners and publicans resort to him? Amen. Not make his disciples wash their hands. Because that wasn't what it was about. It was about the plan. See, what's the plan of God for your life? That's what it's about. The plan of God. Not the plan of you and God. The plan of God. I've had people over the years say, Pastor, I just couldn't do what you do. Well, I know it's not your plan. It's my plan. It's the plan of God for my life. Don't worry about the plan of God for my life. Just do what you do. I've had people tell me, I just feel like I I get around you and I feel like I'm not doing anything. Well, you might not be. 
when you compare it to what I'm doing. But what I'm doing is the, the plan of God for me. What's the plan of God for you? The plan of God for you might be to greet on Sunday morning. The plan of God for you might be to usher or sing in the praise team. The plan of God for you might be to go to the nursing home. The plan of God for you might be to do something else. When you look at what somebody else is doing and you gauge your effectiveness by what they're doing, that's pride. Amen. That's pride. I don't care what anybody else is doing. Some people will come in and say, so-and-so's doing this. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. A lot of times I go, thank God he didn't ask me to do that. It's work. <laughs> right? Oh, I could go a lot, a lot of places. Quit, quit comparing your kids with everybody else. Amen. Well, my child's just as smart as hers. They may not be. You might be fibbing. Amen. That doesn't mean your child's not smart. I've seen people before, well, don't it bother you that maybe your child's not the best athlete? All children are not the best athletes. Some are fast, some are slow, some are in between, some don't care. Angela never cared. Angela said, I'm slow. I'm not going to try to be fast. Amen. So after a while, she figured out her best thing was sitting on the bench cheering everybody else on. Amen. Never bothered me. Well, she never brought home a trophy? No, never did. Gave me two beautiful granddaughters, though. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. You, you understand that? And, oh, Lord, why am I saying this? And, and what happens is then parents begin to put pressure on their children out of their own pride. Amen. And they hurt the child. Amen. Every child should be Lord, that's not a good word, push. Every child should be encouraged to be the best they can be. Amen. But you got to recognize the strengths and the weaknesses in your child. And you got to try to strengthen the weaknesses. But the, 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 the fact of the matter is, there are kids that are good at math and there are kids that aren't. Amen. And they can learn and they can be taught and they can do all right. There are kids that are very good at English right. and some that are not. Right. My, my point that I'm trying to make you is when you push them and you try to make them something that they're not, it's because of how you think it's going to affect you. I don't want anybody to think I got a dumb kid. You don't have, there are no dumb kids. Amen. They're just kids that don't know. Right. Mm. Can I get an amen from my teacher? Ah, hallelujah. And my other teacher, praise the Lord. And my other teacher, my Lord, I got them all around me. You ever tried to preach with a room full of teachers? Don't say ain't, can't, don't, won't. Amen. But do you understand why I'm saying that? Because then that's, that's pride. That's pride. And then that child is under a pressure that they should have never been under because they're trying to fulfill your plan for their life instead of fulfilling their plan. Bless God, you're going to go to college. You're going to go to college. I'm going to crack the whip. You're going to go. If I'm saving that money, you're going. What if that's not how they're been? Right. I, believe, I believe everybody ought to have a higher education. I believe that everybody should increase their education. But here's the bottom line. What, what if they're supposed to go to Rhema? Amen. What if they're supposed to go to Bible school? Right? right? But you're, you're pushing them to go over here. 
And why do you want them to go to Harvard? Is it because the Harvard education is better than K-State's education? Will the degree be any less? No. Then you'll pay a lot more. Yeah. But think about that. What, why, why does a person want that? So they can say, my child went to Harvard. Who cares if the child was happy? That's what's that got to do with Christmas. Jesus was not wrapped up in his identity as a miracle worker. Jesus was wrapped up in his identity as the Son of God. Do you understand that? Amen. Can I say one more thing about kids? And be cautious with this. You know, yeah, you're going to be just like your daddy, aren't you? Precious, oh my goodness. Don't do that. Amen. That child's going to be who that child is. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And if daddy was a good athlete, and maybe they're not. Maybe they took after Uncle Fred. Yeah. In the gene pool, you know. Yeah. Right? My point is, then now you've got a child trying to do... Y'all know who Rick Renner is? Yeah. I know you do. You know, his dad was a really good baseball player. Played minor league ball. And he wanted Rick to play. And Rick didn't like, he said, I could think of nothing more torturous than standing there with a glove on playing this dumb game. Now, that's him. Baseball was my sport growing up. But, but my point is, his father would feel so embarrassed because Rick didn't like to play ball. I'm glad that Rick pursued books instead of baseball. Bless my life, aren't you? I'm glad that I pursued ministry instead of music. I'm, I look around this room. I'm glad that there's people in here that instead of doing this, you did this. And God brought you where you're at. See, if Jesus would have grasped and held on to that, to that idea, I'm going to be less if I clothe myself in flesh and I become a man. What are people going to think about me? He emptied himself of that. He poured all of that out and came as a man. Totally void of pride. Amen. I'll have pastors, they'll say, can you come preach at my church? And I'll say, yeah, and they'll go, now, we're a small church. I didn't ask. There are people sitting under the sound of my voice. You have been here on Wednesday nights when I had five folk, and I preached the paint off these walls. Because it's not who's here. It's what I'm supposed to do. Oh, hallelujah. Glory be to God. Do you see that? His obedience was not to death, but to the plan of the Father that included his death. The plan included his death. So his obedience wasn't to death as much as it was to the plan of the Father. Amen. See, part of humility is not always doing what you want. What about me? I just, what about what I want? 
What about my hopes? What about my dreams? What about my desires? Well, everybody's got them, and God doesn't have a problem. But here's the problem. When that becomes the issue, you're going to miss out on something. Amen. I've, I've had, again, I've had people tell me, I, 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 can't, I can't do that because if I did that, then I would have to let this go. What about the plan? Right? Look, look, look at, at Hebrews 12. See, the word obedient here tells us that Jesus wasn't looking forward to the cross. It wasn't something that he was looking forward to. But that's part of the reason he came. It was the plan of God. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the throne, at the right hand of the throne of God. So notice, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And it says, despising the shame. Now, this is important. The word despise means to think little or nothing of. So he endured the cross thinking little or nothing of the shame. Now remember, you're put on a cross in this time for one reason. You're a criminal. That's it. The the Romans introduced crucifixion. The, The Jews would stone you and hang you on a tree. This was the Roman form of execution, and they only executed criminals. And so Jesus died in the Roman eyes for what reason? Calling himself the king of the Jews. Right. That, that, that was what was on his placard, the king of the Jews. So if you went by a thief, it would be robbery. If you went by a murderer, it would be murder. You come to Jesus and it said, king of the Jews. He called himself the king of the Jews. Well, there's not... In, in Roman society, there's one king, Caesar. And to say there's another king, right, is to usurp that authority. Now, why is this important? So he dies the death of a criminal, and he thought little or nothing of it. Amen. Never crossed his mind what people were going to think about him. Amen. And it says that's who we're to look to. Amen. Right? And it said, thought little or nothing of the shame. That word is dishonor or disgrace. So he didn't think about how dishonoring it was going to be or how shameful, how disgraceful. Do you see that? And that's our example. That's how I'm supposed to approach things. Thinking little or nothing of the shame. Hallelujah. You know why you don't see more Christians witness their faith today? They're afraid of what people are going to think. Well, what, what is that, pride? You have the answer. 
Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Amen. Is that right? He, he said, nobody buys a, a candle to put it under a bushel. Let your light so shine that people may see the, your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. If I'm emulating Jesus, if I'm, if I'm letting this mind be in me that was in Christ, it's all about the Father and what the Father can do for you, not about what you think about me. Amen. Right? That guy, he's one of them Bible thumpers. Yes, sir. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Next time you're in the grocery store, what if you just say Jesus real loud? Amen. See, it's easy if you care. Jesus cared. Amen. Easy if you care. Remember, the, the being born into the earth, the becoming a man, being a baby, growing up, that was the easy part. The hard part comes at the end. That was a means to the end. Jesus didn't come in the earth so we could remember a little fat baby boy. And wonder, did he do miracles? Did he heal birds? Did he? No, he didn't. The Bible lets us know that. This beginning of miracles in Cana of Galilee. Here's my point. People will, will wonder, why don't we see anything about Jesus' formative years? They weren't important. They didn't matter. All that mattered was his obedience to the Father. The Bible says at 12 years old, it leaves us with this, this gap in the life of Jesus that he went home and submitted himself to his mother and father and grew in grace and favor with God and with man. Amen. That's all the Bible wanted us to know. He submitted himself to his parents. Was he any less God at 12 than he was at 33? No. So God submitted himself to earthly parents. It's what the Bible wants us to see. It's just so important. Now, so he thought little or nothing of the shame, the disgrace. Look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8. I'm running right on time, praise God. I couldn't wait to get back here with you all this week. I mean it. There's some of my favorite people in the world in this building right now. I don't know if I tell you that enough, but it's the truth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm working on Earl. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. If you said the devil wears a pink dress with a purple flower, it'll say, Amen. Amen. People say, Well, why is that? Because he trusts us. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Now, the devil doesn't wear a pink dress with a purple bow, just so you'll know. He has a, he has a pitchfork and a pointed tail, right? No. No. Philippians 2 and verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even 
the death of the cross. The, the word even here is a, Greek in, uh, a word in the Greek that means an emphatic even. It's, it's the same kind of word that Jesus used in John 10 and verse 10 when he said, The thief has come, the thief cometh not before to steal, kill, and destroy, but, but, it's emphatic in the Greek, but I am come. He's, he's making a demarcation there. And, and here it says that he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So the idea that's carried there is that Jesus humbled himself to such a lowly position and became so obedient that he even stooped low enough to die the miserable death of the cross. Mm-hmm. Even. Even. All right? Anytime you use the word even, that guy, that guy said this and he even said this. Well, the even is emphatic. Right? When, when God comes and talks to us, he says, will you do this? Yes, sir. Even this? Right? Amen. You know, how, well, let me move on. I, I had to one day find, I, Dr. Lester Summerall said something one time. He said, my joy is not found in other people's head. And he also said this. He said, uh, other people's heads is no good place for your joy. Amen. So what do you get joy from? The plan. Amen. Right? Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. Hallelujah. My nourishment, my fulfillment. Right? I, I had to learn that years ago. I don't care what people think of me. I don't care. I love everybody, but I have an IDC degree. I don't care. Well, that's what I think you need to do. Okay, you can think that, but I don't care. Why? Because that's not the plan. Does that make sense? And, 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 And that was Jesus' mindset. His, his brothers and his sisters and his, even his mother, the Bible says, at one time, standing outside the house, wanting to get to him. And they said, your mother and your brothers and your families are out here. He said, who is my mother and my brothers, my sisters? And he said, he looked at those that were in the house and said, these are my mothers, my mother and my brother and my sisters. They hear the word and they do it. In other words, what was he saying? My, my family knows who I am, and they won't believe it. They won't do it. He was so focused on the plan of God. Going to the cross, people, listen, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he had to pray and pull his fleshly, solical will under the plan of God, but he did it. He stayed with it until he did it. Amen. That was in his mind consistently. And the Bible says his brothers didn't even believe in him. Said they believed not. There are people that I know that would do it for them with the plan of God. My family don't even believe in me. Hallelujah. You know, people see me and some of my family today and see the close relationship we have. They didn't believe in me. I had a family member tell me, you're the bottom of the barrel. You'll always be the lowest rung in this family. Nothing will ever change that. Okay. Thank you. Glad to know where I start. (laughs) You know what I thought about that, though? If it's the bottom, 
Ain't nowhere to go but up. Hallelujah. Mm. Look at Galatians 3. I'm almost done. He died as a criminal. Took the curse upon himself for us. You think about those words that we, that we often quote. He became sin. He became sin. Who knew no sin? What if he would have said, I've never known sin. What's that going to make me look like? People are going to think I'm a sinner. They did. They said he was. How are you going to look at God who never sinned and call him a sinner? But they did. And he never once said, let me tell you. Let me show you who I am. Stand back. Look out now. Yeah. Right? Never did that. Got in trouble. Got in trouble healing people on the Sabbath. The day he created. The day he created for people to get rest. What was sickness and disease? Bondage and a weight. And on the Sabbath day when people were supposed to be free, he was setting people free in accordance with the Sabbath and religious leaders were cursing him and calling him him a sinner and he's God. And he never once said, don't you know who I am? Let me tell you something. I know about that girlfriend you got. Tell you something you really don't know. You got a splinter when you were six months old in your big toe on your right foot. Look at me. Ha! Look at ha! Look how I'm a prophet. Is that right? Never did that because that wasn't what it was all about. He would do miracles and slide off. He would heal multitudes, and they'd say, where'd it go? Is that right? Why? That wasn't what it was all about. That wasn't what it was all about. Jesus didn't... I'm going to shut up. Jesus didn't walk around with an entourage. He had people that served him and helped him, but it wasn't about him. It was about the people. I'll watch pastors that pastor five people. They'll come to a church and they'll have 15 armor bearers. Who's trying to kill that man? That he needs 15 security guards. Can't even have church tonight because he took all of them with him. Well, I'm Reverend Apostle, so-and-so, Bishop, Overseer, Pastor, Teacher, Apostle. Who are you, Brother Steele? Oh, what do you do? Come on, man. You understand that? If you make less of yourself, God will make more of you. But if you're determined to do all the work God's supposed to be doing, God can't do anything. Jesus did the miracles he did and had the, 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 the wonders that he had because he consistently gave God the credit. Jesus never took credit for one miracle. And that's why he was willing to humble himself and become a man. Did you find Galatians 3? Christ 
has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Now, that, that's one of our scriptures that we put on our confession list, and we should. But notice what it says. He became a curse. He was made a curse for us. Amen. For us. And he didn't give that one moment of thought. He just became, okay, I got to become a curse. Okay. He despised the shame. Amen. Thought little or nothing about it. Just the only thing he thought about was what it was going to produce. Mm. He was born to die for you and me. Jesus was willing to do whatever it took to redeem mankind from sin and Satan. So he humbled himself even to the point of dying on the cross. And he said, let that mind be in you. So we, we, we talked about family. We talked about marriage. We talked about things of that nature. So if, if, if I am willing to humble myself and become obedient even to the point that I die to myself, how great would my life be? Right? How, what, what would a ministry look like if people were just dying to themselves and focused on the plan? There wouldn't be any hurt feelings. Because people are people. People have bad days, good days. People are in good moods, bad moods. Well, bless God, they shouldn't come to church in a bad mood. I know you remember that. <laughs> Hallelujah. One time I was, I was complaining to the Lord about something a guy was doing, and he gave me perfect knowledge and re rewound my life. And I saw myself doing the same thing. You know what I came out of that with? Oh, you remember that. Hallelujah. Amen. I went to the Lord about a person one time. And don't anybody look at me because I'm not going to look at you. <laughs> I went to a person one time. And I said, Lord, they, Lord, help me because this individual just frustrates me. And he said, yeah, they're just like you. <laughs> no, Lord, surely not. Oh, yeah, they think just like you. Oh, God. <laughs> Next time you see that person, you're like, that's me. <laughs> oh, God, cure me. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Then you're thinking about the other person. Don't judge people's faith. It says, if you got faith, have it to yourself. You don't know what people are going through. You don't know what, what they know or don't know. If you have more knowledge, you're capable of more. Amen. Amen. Can I, can I share one thing with you? Sure. The Lord helped me some time ago with this. And it, and it was uh, being careful with saying things like somebody would go, uh, how? How did you get that car? Or how did you do this? I believe God. Mm. Oh, you. 
You do. You believe God. I believe for it. Hmm. Okay, okay. So how did that faith you use come? By hearing the word. Of whose faith is it? Who's the creator? Who's the giver of all good things? So you did it. God did it. I just believe God. You see why I'm saying that? Because then if somebody else failed or somebody else is struggling, I'm left there with the idea they, they can't believe like me. got to be careful with that. Everything God does for any of us, he does it, first of all, on the basis of how good he is. And secondly, what I believe about him. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. How hard is that? So when people start throwing their principles in there, this is what you got to do because this is what I did, and this is what you got to do because this is what I did, and this is what you got to do because this is what I did, and, and I, and I, and I, and I, and I. When he said, without faith it is impossible to please God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let me close with this. Do you believe he is? Do you believe God is? Do you believe he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him? That's all you need. The Bible says to you and I as believers, to compare yourself among yourselves is not good. Everybody in here is on a different level of faith than I am. Some greater, some less. You're on a different level of faith than the person sitting next to you. But whatever level of faith you're on, understand that God will respond to that. And he might be responding to the person in front of you, beside you, behind you on a greater level right now, but it's just because they're working their faith in a greater measure. You just keep building your faith muscles. You just keep believing God, and it won't be long. Your faith will be producing the same thing that their faith is producing. Just humble yourself. Humble yourself. Because the Bible says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There there are people you know and I know, they are up against things they can't handle, and they will not humble themselves before the hand of God. I need his grace every day. I am dealing with things I can't do. I need his grace. So that means i got to keep myself humble. And, and, And this is a whole other message, but then don't get so... Don't get prideful about how humble you are. (laughs) Amen. Glory to God. A guy jumped up one of Dr. Oral Roberts' services one time, opposed him right there to his face, almost to his face in the Mavis Center, and uh, just yelled out loud, Oral Roberts, you're the most prideful man I ever saw. As the ushers were helping him out, Dr. Roberts said, hold it one minute, brothers. The man turned around. (laughs) He said, brother, it is only my humility that keeps me from telling you how humble I really am. (laughs) Hallelujah. Let's stand up.